Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. This week, we are going to continue our study through the book of Acts, beginning in chapter 13, verse 4 is where we're going to start. Uh, We talked last week about the beginning of a missionary journey of Saul and Barnabas. Saul and Barnabas. And in this chapter, you're going to see Saul's name actually is changed to Paul. And for the rest of the book, his name will be Paul. So it's not like his evil twin brother, Paul. They're the same guy, Saul and Paul. The same, okay? Not twins. So, continuing on, um, what you're going to notice as this goes on is the mission of these journeys is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. To spread the news that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And to let everyone know that if they put their faith in Jesus and call upon his name, they can be saved of their sin. So Saul and Barnabas are going to different places and spreading this great gospel news. First to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. So they're telling everyone. They're starting with the Jewish people and then they're spreading out and telling people. So we have a map actually of of where it is they're actually going to be going. Um, Today we're going to be talking about um, starting in Antioch. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Going from Antioch to Cyprus. Yeah, I like, I like the transition. That's good. So the next one. Okay. And the, the story will mostly be focused right here in the capital city of... I haven't done it. I didn't do it yet. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you guys forgot which one. <laughs> Wait, which one was it again? I like it. I like it. I like it. But that's where our story is taking place. So as I read, going through these places, try and follow along on the map. So starting off in verse 4. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Celestia and sailed from there to Cyprus. They arrived in Salmaeus. There proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them and was as their helper. So we start off, and what they would do is they would go to a city, and as they came to the city, they would go to the Jewish synagogue. They'd go to the Jewish gathering place. And they did something pretty cool back then. Their tradition was um, to have the, the pulpit open at a certain time during the service, and anyone who was a learned man in the community could come up and share from the Word. So it would kind of be like Pastor Gary getting up there and opening up, and he'd talk a little bit, and then he'd go, okay, cool, we're going to open up the pulpit to anyone who wants to... Uh, come up here and share a word. And he'd just sit down and other guys would get up and, and they would start sharing from the word and share about the, the gospel. Or they, they'd share about the, the scriptures or do a reading. So what happened here was Saul and Barnabas would go into the Jewish synagogue and they say, hey, does anyone have a word to bring to us? And Saul would be like, yeah, I, I got a little something for you. And he would get up there and he would share about Jesus Christ and he'd show how the Old Testament prophets proved that he was the Messiah. And he would share the gospel with people. And he'd start off with the Jews sharing in the synagogues. But, but what he found was they weren't very receptive to it. Some were, but not many. And because they weren't receptive, he would leave the Jewish synagogue afterwards. And he would go and share with the Gentiles. Share with those who were not Jews. Maybe they were Greeks or Romans or another nationality. And he would share the gospel with them. And they were more receptive. So they, they traveled across the entire island of Cyprus, going from city to city, going in the Jewish synagogue, preaching there, taking it to the Jews, and then going to the Gentiles and sharing it with them. And they kind of were having a really big effect, and then they moved on towards the capital city of Cyprus. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. 
There they met a, Jew, a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet, prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Let's pause there for a moment. Now you might be thinking, okay, hold on. I learned about this Jesus guy. He's a great guy, wonderful, came, died for my sins. I love Jesus. Um, Bar-Jesus? What? Bar-Jesus? Really? You've got to look at their parents and be like, come on. Really? Bar Jesus? You couldn't think anything better than that. But sometimes, as you know, people end up with the same name in class. Sometimes people end up with the same name in youth group. And parents just name their kids the same. And we see this a similarity in the names of Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, and this Bar Jesus character. Now, Bar Jesus actually means son of Jesus. But I want us to be sure to have no confusion. This does not mean he's related to Jesus. But it's careful. It's actually interesting. As we continue reading, they're actually not going to continue to call him Bar-Jesus. They're going to call him Alanus. Because they don't want any confusion to happen. Or they don't want any bad connotations with that name. Have you ever, like, met someone? And you're like, hi, my name's, you know, my name's Barrett or whatever. And, and they go, oh. And you're like, what's wrong? And they go, well, I once knew a Barrett. And uh, he sat behind me in second grade. He picked his nose and he flicked the boogers at the back of my neck. There was a pile of nastiness after class. I'm sorry, it's disgusting, I'm sorry. There was a pile of nastiness on the back of my neck every class, so we're not going to be friends. And you're like, okay, cool, sorry. I can change my name to Phil. No, 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 just go away. And because of your name, they, they relate you with something different. So the author actually changes the name and calls him Alemus, which, is, uh, which actually means, as we'll find out later, it means sorcerer. So... That is his name going by. But, but his job was to be an advisor or sorcerer to the proconsul, to the ruler of uh, Cyprus. He was the ruler of Cyprus. He was pra- placed there by the Romans to be in charge of that entire island. So it was a pretty important job that he had to advise him. And you might be saying, well, hold on, Barrett. Um, Last time I checked, this is not Harry Potter that we're reading. This is the Bible. Why is there a sorcerer in the Bible? What this man would do is he would use tricks and lies and deceit. And he would seek to poorly advise this man or advise him in a way that was profitable to himself. I picture this, and I have no idea what he looked like. We can't know, but, but I just picture this really evil, hunched-over man he kind of tilted his head a little bit like this, and, and he talked like this. Sir, pro counsel, it is I, Elamus. <laughs> it is I, by Jesus. And I just creep, because this really creepy dude, like, I don't know why I sound like the witch from Snow White with the apple. Want an apple? No, but it, it wasn't, wasn't exactly him, but, but it, it was more of a thing where, where he would advise and he would give counsel and he'd be like, I have talked to the powers of the forces that I see, and I saw a crow flying on a Tuesday, and I smelt Canterbury this morning, which means that you should execute that man. Like, he would just advise this man, and he would use lies and deceit and weird rituals to, to try and advise and tell this man what to do. And maybe he would heal him if he was sick or try to do some medical procedures or whatnot, but, but that was his job. He was the advisor to the proconsul. It was a pretty big job. He probably was pretty wealthy because of it. But the proconsul, Sergio Paulus, is interested. He is curious 
about these Christians that are sprouting up. He's curious about this this real Jesus that he's been hearing about. Let's keep reading about what happens there. So it says, The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Eliamus, the sorcerer, for that was what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So what happens is the, the proconsul hears this kind of hype or this, this buzz, excitement about these two men who are going to synagogues and preaching about this Jesus and his power and people are being saved. And he goes, I, I want to hear about this. I kind of want to hear what these guys have to say. So he invites them to the court and, and he says, go, what, what's this thing that you've been sharing? Who's this Jesus you've been talking about? And Saul and Barnabas tell him about Jesus and they share that with him. And he soaks it in and he's thinking and listening about it. But for some reason, Bar-Jesus is not happy about this. And in fact, he tries to spread deceit and lies, and he does not want the proconsul to be saved. He doesn't want him to know about Jesus. Now, if you think a little bit, it's, it's not too hard to figure out why he did not want him to be saved. It's not too hard to figure out why he didn't want him to be a Christian. The reason he didn't was simple. If the proconsul was saved... If he found out that Jesus was his Lord and his commander, and that the Bible instructs that you shouldn't do sorcery or have anything to do with that, Bar-Jesus would be out of a job. He would be out of a job if this guy got saved. He'd be like, wait, why would I listen to you with your magic when I can talk to um, the God of the universe who knows everything, when I can pray to him? Why would I be led by you and your advisement when I can be led by the Holy Spirit? And he would lose his job. So Bar-Jesus is like, man, i got to keep my job. I don't want to lose it. So he begins to spread lies about Paul and about Barnabas. Maybe they left the room, and he goes, Oh, most high pro-counsel, I, this morning I had oatmeal. It was delicious. And what, you know what that means. If you have oatmeal in the morning and it's delicious, then the next two people named Saul and Barnabas will be evil that you meet. Their names are Saul and Barnabas. Do not listen to their gospel. Do not listen to their Jesus. And he spread lies about the gospel. And he spread lies about what Saul and Barnabas were saying. Because he didn't want them. He didn't want uh, the proconsul to hear the gospel message. So listen to what happens. I love this passage. If I get a little excited reading this, I apologize. But it's just kind of like... Really exciting to read. So, I'm not being mean. Like, don't record this and play it back. My voice saying these words. It's, make sure it's in context, okay? So, then Saul, who was also called Paul, that we see the name change. Uh, and from now on, he'll be called Paul. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember that as we read this. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus. Straight in the eyes. Looked straight at him. And he said, you are a child of the devil. What? Dude, call him a child of Satan. Oh, it gets better. I love it. And an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. And you will never, say what? Never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. Boom! Oh, I love this passage. Oh, he just tells him, oh, gets me excited. Now, you might be reading this, and you might be like, hold on a second. Okay, yes, his name did just change from Saul to Paul, but isn't this the same dude who wrote in Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, 
It does not envy. It does not boast. Love. It's like on a, like a Valentine's Day card. Hey, love is patient. Love is kind. Imagine getting a Valentine's card. Hey, you're the child of Satan. <laughs> you're full of trickery and deceit. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be a great Christmas card or Valentine's Day writer necessarily, okay? But he speaks harsh words. I mean, harsh. The son of Satan. That is not a compliment you want to hear. You don't want to win that award in your class, okay? You don't. But it's so ironic because he calls him the son of Satan. And what does Bar-Jesus mean? Son of Jesus. He's showing the difference here. You have nothing to do with the real Jesus. And everything to do with Satan. He might be saying, why was Paul angry at this dude? Was he a Dallas Cowboys fan? Was he persecuting him because of that? I don't know. But he was clearly angry at him for some reason. But what I want us to see is this... These weren't Paul's words. This was the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. What I'm trying to say is, this was actually God speaking through Paul. These are God's words. Now it gets tricky. Now you're thinking, okay, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out bad, okay? This is God. I remember in VBS, we had like a picture of the flannel, bla- on the fr- flannel graph. Flannel graph? It's a flannel graph, Yeah picture on there and it said God is love. Love doesn't necessarily call people the spawn of Satan. That is, it just seems like a dichotomy here. It doesn't seem like it evens out very well, okay? Spawn of Satan, love, what? But it's actually because of God's love that he says this. Let me explain. Because God loves people, anything that comes between God and his people whom he loves He hates. He hates. Let me explain it this way. My grandmother makes this thing called a lemon pound cake. It's glorious. I feel like I'm eating baby angels when I eat it. Just it just melts in my mouth. And and like I can't hear what any any words that are going on or music or anything. I just kind of lost in the and I just let it melt in my mouth and Oh, man, I'm hungry. Oh, man, I should have eaten breakfast this morning, but it wouldn't have been a lemon pound cake. I'm going to call my grandmother after this. Hey, Grandma, could you send me some lemon pound cake? But when we get to my grandmother's house, and she has this sitting in a beautiful icing glory, and it's just this round spear of wonderfulness, and it's sitting there in this glass case waiting for us, my brothers and I get pretty violent over getting that cake, okay? And when I'm in the house and, and I walk in the kitchen, anything that stands between me And that cake is going to feel pain. Because I'm going to get to that cake, whatever it takes. I don't care if there's a hurdle, I'm jumping it. I don't care if there's a pool, I'm swimming like Michael Phelps to get to that cake. I don't care if there's a 350-pound lineman from the NFL standing between me. I will knock him on his face, break his leg, beat him with that leg, and get to the cake. That was a little bit violent. I'm sorry. I really like this cake, okay? Get off. Stop making fun of me, okay? I like this cake. What I'm saying is this, because I love that cake, I'm going to get to it, and nothing's going to stop me. But think about this, okay? Jesus loves us. And anything that sits between us and him, he hates. Because he loves us so much that nothing will keep him from getting to us. He wants to get to us. And anything in his way, he wants to shove aside so he can embrace us and love us. Because he cares for us. 
But what happens is there are sometimes obstacles between us and him. The biggest, of course, being sin. You see, God is perfect. He's perfect. He's spotless. And we're sinful. And if something that's sinful has part with something that's perfect and has a relationship, then it's no longer perfect. It's sinful. So this wall of sin goes up because everyone has sinned. And it's in this world that's literally we're born with sin. And this wall is immediately put up at our birth that separates us from the God who loves us. And when Jesus saw this wall, this this sin that stood between us and him, he said, I want to break this down. I want to destroy it. I hate this because it it keeps me from the children that I love. It keeps me from, from what I created and who I care about. And he would do anything to cast that aside and get to us. Even, even to where he would, he would die for us. And he did. Jesus died and took this punishment that was that sin. So that if, if we only called his name and called out to him, that sin could be removed and he could run to us. And we could be together forever. You see, he sees that wall, that sin which is before us, and keeps us from it. And he realizes, if something isn't done about this, then I can never be with my children. They can't spend eternity with me in heaven if something isn't done about this sin. And I hate it. The reason these harsh words are spoken by God is because this this character, our Jesus, is trying to confuse this pro-counsel this man, this Sergio, and keep him from God. And he would do anything he can to cast this aside. And the reason he hates so much the words of Bar-Jesus is because he's saying, your words are polluting my child. You're polluting the truth. He's getting close to accepting me, hearing the truth, and you're giving him lies and deceit, and it's keeping me from whom I love, and I hate it. And that's why he's so adamant about speaking against Jesus, speaking against this evil sorcerer. Because he is between the one that he loves. Because his lies are keeping him from a relationship with him. That's why he's so angry. Let's continue reading. He continues going and he says, Now the hand of the Lord is against you, and you are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, Mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. God wanted to show that this man was spiritually blind. Spiritually blind. If you are going to have to do an opposite course, blindfolded, would you pick someone else who is blindfolded to help you go through that opposite course? No, because they don't know what they're doing. If Andrew has a question about worship... And he's like, oh, man, what key change should I do? Or, you know, what pitch or note should I? I don't know music terms. What note should I do? I don't know. Oh, that's Barrett. That would be a very poor decision because Barrett has no idea about music. None. I listen to it, and it's good. Cool. I like that. But I don't know when there's a key change or the pitch or the notes or a B flat. I'm just making up terms here. I'm just pulling from what they say. But he would be very poor to ask me for advice because I don't know what I'm doing. What God is trying to show is, why would you ask this man, this this fake sorcerer, to be your advisor 
when he himself is blind? Why would you ask him to lead you when he himself has his eyes spiritually blinded from truth? What can he show you? Where could he lead you but death and destruction? Because he's already blind. God is showing that. So physically, he gives a representation to show this man should not lead you or give any counsel to you because he himself is blind to truth. Instead, God says, listen to my voice. Listen to my servants, Paul and Barnabas, as they preach the truth to you. And don't let any lies, don't let any false leaders come between me and you because I love you so much. Let nothing come between us. And this story has a great ending. It says in verse 12, when the proconsul saw what happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Yes, he saw this man go blind and saw this cool miracle, but he was more amazed at the teaching of this Jesus. He was more amazed that, wow, so, so this sin was between me and God, and, and God sent his son, Jesus, to die for me? To die for me? So that this sin could be removed? That's incredible. And that simple revelation of truth would change this man's life. It would change it. He would never be the same. Now, guys, here's a, here's a problem we make. We have a few problems. The first is this. We think that what separates us from Jesus is something that we can break through ourselves. Guys, that wall of sin that sits between you and Jesus is nothing that you could break through on your own. You could beat at it with your fists until they're bloodied and broken, but you could never in your entire life do enough good things, follow the Bible enough to get through that wall to Jesus. You can't. But here's what you can do. You can call upon the name of Jesus, and he will save you. So kids do this thing, and probably every one of you have done it at some point, where, where you're really scared, and, and the first person you want to call is your dad. It's just the first person you want to call. So maybe you wake up and it's like 3 in the morning and you're a little nervous and scared. And, and who's the first person you call? You, you wake up and you're holding your covers like this and, and you go, Dad? 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 I don't know what it is, but your like voice goes up and down. Like You don't just say, Dad, Dad, Dad. You go, Dad, Dad, Dad. And you just call his name. And you call it to him. And what happens? He enters the room and he goes, what's up? And you go, oh, nothing. I just want you to beat up that monster in my closet. Yeah, my dad's coming for you. Watch out. Go get him, dad. Take care of him. I mean, just calling on his name, though, when he enters the room and his presence gives you peace and he saves you from the monster that was never there. But he saves you. But all you had to do, you didn't have to go in the closet and destroy the monster that was there already. You just called your dad and he did it for you. Guys, this wall that sits between us and God, this sin that is so entangled on us that we could never enjoy eternal life in heaven is only something that Jesus can take care of. And all we have to do, it's so simple, all we have to do is call on the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, Jesus, I, I need your help. Jesus, I, I can't beat this sin on my own. It's not something I can do on my own. I need your help. You have to save me. And I know that you died for that sin. 
And you beat it. And you're able to beat it. And I want you to save me from it. It's got to be you. I can't save myself. Forgive me of my sin and save me. And just at that word, just at you saying that word, but meaning it, not just saying the words, it's not some magical thing where you say the name Jesus and then you're saved. It's, it's more of saying Jesus. Meaning his name, meaning that you love him, meaning that you recognize your sin is so great and that you must have him or you will die. It's not some magical thing. Sometimes we think that, that say this magical little prayer and that you'll be saved, and that's not how it works. What happens is you recognize a need, and God does a work in your own heart, and you are saved. That's what happens. That's how we're saved. But Jesus is just waiting. He's waiting to hear those words from you, because he won't do it for you. He wants you to call him. He wants you to call for him. He wants you to recognize your need for him. And at the moment that you do, he is standing there with a sledgehammer, warming up, ready to destroy that wall, absolutely obliterate it to pieces, to spit on it, like, what? You got nothing on my kid. I'm about to go hang with him for eternity. Maybe he doesn't taunt. I don't know. Maybe he does. But when you do something as mighty as conquering death, death, killing death, That sounds awesome. He killed death. He defeated death. And none of us have to experience the punishment for our sin. All we have to experience is life eternally with God in a relationship with Him if we would just call upon His name. But guys, there are those who don't want you to do that. There are those who will spread lies There will be those who who spread lies and don't want you to accept the gospel and don't want you to know about Jesus because because you'll be changed, you'll be different, and they might not like that. Maybe secretly you, you don't want to change. Maybe there's something in your life that you realize, if I got saved and and I followed Jesus entirely, I might have to give this up. I might have to change this part of my life. The sorcerer by Jesus didn't want to accept Jesus because that would have meant he would have had to change his entire identity. He would have had to change his job, the way he spoke, what he did, his rituals. He'd have to change everything to follow Jesus. But, but if he just realized that following Jesus was greater than any of those things, he would have dropped it in a second and called on the name of Jesus. And even still, Jesus would have saved him. Guys, Jesus hates anything that stands between us and him. He hates sin because it pollutes those whom he loves and keeps him from us. And he hates anyone who would speak lies and keep us from spending eternity with him. Guys, let's bow our heads.